Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Help is on the way with Congress ready to vote as soon as today on a massive pandemic relief plan. A significant development here after months of stalemate. The four leaders of the Senate and the House finalized an agreement. After eight long months, Congress has finally reached a deal on a $900 billion coronavirus relief bill. At the time of this recording Monday afternoon, lawmakers were getting close to voting on one of the biggest relief packages the country's ever seen, a $900 billion COVID-19 stimulus plan. In a few minutes, we'll hear what that plan could mean for renters, people facing food insecurity, and city and state budgets in Chicago and Illinois. But first, HuffPost congressional reporter Arthur Delaney joins us with the details of the plan. Arthur, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Congress has agreed upon another stimulus This is huge, Arthur, considering how long Americans have been waiting for this relief. So tell us how we got here. What happened yesterday? Well, they had a breakthrough yesterday after months of stalemate. And it was uh, basically Republicans and Democrats haggling over their competing priorities and operating under this Republican limit. They didn't want it to be much more than $900 billion. So that that, that, uh, forced Democrats to sort of shift some stuff around, uh, for instance, between unemployment and stimulus checks. I think the stimulus checks are the, the first thing most people want to hear about because most people are going to get one, $600 for mm-hmm. everyone in your household if uh, you're a married couple with your income beneath one hundred fifty grand per year. The checks last time, it was $1,200 uh, for each adult uh, with an income beneath uh, seventy-five grand per individual and then 500 for your children. This is 600 for for both adults and children, um, and it, it goes to uh, this is most households like 200 million people in the United States right. will get one of these, and, and they'll go out soon because the uh, IRS has practiced sending them out. So the the uh, Treasury Secretary said this morning he thinks people could start seeing this money as soon as next week. Aren't there millions of eligible Americans that are still waiting for their stimulus check from the spring? Just going back to that that check, that 1,200 dollars. Yes. Yeah, so, so there's no income requirement, but uh, since it is sort of hooked up with the, with the tax system, there were problems in the springtime with people who do not file tax returns getting their checks. Because if you don't if you don't owe income tax because you have low income, you don't have to file a tax return. So the IRS eventually came up with some workarounds. They put a new portal on their website and they figured out that they didn't have to ask people to proactively sign up if they're already receiving uh, a social security payment or a disability payment. So I I think that for for some groups, those obstacles will remain. But I'd be optimistic that the IRS will be better prepared this time around to reach 
those uh, super low income people. Um, right. There, people who are excluded are, uh, however, Im- immigrants who don't have uh, permanent status. So that and Democrats had pushed to be to have a more inclusive uh, provision, but didn't win that. Now, this relief, as we've mentioned, you know, long time coming. Is an agreement before the new year a surprise at all? It is a little bit of a surprise, actually, because this stalemate had persisted for half a year. Yeah. And uh, I, I think there were some interesting dynamics at play at different times. You know, there was the election coming up. Nancy Pelosi outright said that she didn't want Donald Trump sending out checks with his name on them just so he could uh, improve his chances in the election. And now there's another election because of the uh, the November result didn't uh, give us a winner in Georgia. And we have these two Senate races. Uh, where Republicans are in trouble. And Mitch McConnell, the the Senate Majority Leader, said that they're getting killed. They need to send some checks out. We've spoken with Illinois Congress members on the show, too, you know, in the past couple weeks on this issue, Arthur. And it didn't sound like an agreement including direct payments was necessarily on the table or at least anytime soon. What what was the change? Democrats have been in favor of another round of direct payments this whole time. Uh, but when a, the, the, the big breakthrough that happened uh, earlier this month was a bipartisan group came up with this $900 billion compromise, and they omitted checks. And uh, Democrats were annoyed by that. But then a couple, a couple key Republicans also piped up. Uh, Josh Hawley from Missouri uh, said that he wanted checks in there, and that got a lot of attention. And he called President Trump and President Trump is generally inclined to, to support the checks anyway, because uh, I think he understands it. It's it's very simple and he can get credit for it because it's his government. And uh, so I, I think him uh, leaning on it made it easier for uh, Republicans to swallow this, which, is, you know, just wasn't really one of their mm-hmm. priorities. And they, and they did wind up having to take money from the unemployment extension in order to offset the cost of the checks. And their concern about costs is also the reason the checks will be for about half as much as they were in springtime. And, and tell us specifically about the unemployment benefits. What's that extension? I, I think the unemployment provisions of this is also very major. Uh, it's an extra $300 per week for everybody who's receiving unemployment benefits, which is a, a, approaching 20 million people. Uh, and okay. since unemployment payments average about $300 a week to begin with, this is a, a big deal. It's less than the 600 Congress provided over the summer, but keep in mind that Congress never adds this kind of money to unemployment. So it's still we're still in sort of unprecedented territory. And uh, so federal programs for gig workers will also continue under this and, and for people who uh, can't work just because they have to watch their kids at home. Uh, all these yeah. programs and plus the increase in benefits will remain in place through uh, mid-March. And then they'll begin to phase down, and that will be another big fight uh, and something mm-hmm. to watch for in, in the coming weeks. Because Democrats already want another bite at the apple. So it, you're saying it'll begin to phase down after March? Yeah, and, mid, and this, is, this gets a little wonky, but Republicans actually won something here. They will phase down gradually, because you may have heard that if Congress didn't act right now, 12 million people would get cut off all of a sudden the day after Christmas. Yes, they don't they don't want that kind of pressure on them. So the gradual phase down will disallow new claims while people can continue to receive if they had already started. And that's going to prevent the uh, the most dire headlines. Uh, They're learning from when they had to keep doing this after the Great Recession and Democrats pummeled them for callously uh, wanting to end benefits for millions of people. And this is a sort of a, a crafty way out of that situation, potentially 
in the springtime uh, because we're, we're we're already looking for that to be another mm-hmm. big fight. Now, Arthur, what about small businesses? What's what's in the deal for them? More than three hundred billion dollars. The, the small business predict, uh, provision is huge, and this was a, a Democrats like this, but this was a big Republican priority. It's another round of uh, paycheck protection program for givable loans for smaller businesses. Uh, they, they, uh, this program uh, over the summer helped businesses uh, pay, you know, cover the payrolls for as many as like 50 million workers. Although uh, the Treasury Department, I don't think, did a lot to make sure p- businesses actually kept those people on payroll. And uh, you may have had a, a PPP loan and, and once it uh, once its time was up, you, a lot of people got laid off anyway. But anyway, they're bringing this back. Um, it, it, it's a lot of money. Uh, there are provisions this time to make it a little more egalitarian, uh, easier for uh, smaller and minority owned businesses to get to the front of the line because it's a first come first served program. Yeah. And they funnel the money through banks, uh, which in spring resulted in banks favoring uh, uh, businesses with whom they had pre-existing relationships. And, and you know, of course, the bigger businesses yeah. are better at doing bank stuff. As we heard, if passed, the $900 billion stimulus package would send direct payments to Americans, extend job loss benefits, and provide funds to struggling businesses. What it doesn't do, at least not to the extent many mayors and governors had hoped, is provide funds for state and local governments as they struggle during the pandemic. Public finance expert Lawrence Massal is president of the Civic Federation, and he joins me now. Welcome back to Reset. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the details of this package, just remind us about how hard the pandemic has hit the the city and state budgets. Let's start with the state. Yeah, for states across the country, all, even the best prepared that had significant reserves had them wiped out, California, um, New York, all across the country, because of all the economically sensitive revenues, in particular those in the hospitality industry, all of those related to conventions, that revenue fell off the table. Sales tax it was a little bit of a bright light for many state governments, but not to the extent that they lost in other areas. So because major urban centers especially are hurt because there is no longer convening, people aren't in um, supporting the hospitality industry in order to stay safe. So the state and local governments have been hit ferociously as a result of the economic disruption of the pandemic. Now, as we just mentioned, you know, the bill doesn't include new money for state and local governments. Throughout the year, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and, and Governor Pritzker, they've talked a lot about the tough decisions that they've had to make to address budget shortfalls without help from Washington. So what kind of situation does this put Lightfoot and Pritzker in? It puts both of them and the really mayors and governors across the country in a very difficult spot. The, For example, the Chicago Public Schools closed their budget deficit with the hope of getting more federal money. The money that we're seeing coming out of this stimulus won't be enough to prop up the Chicago Public Schools. Mayor Lightfoot is not getting any revenue support, nor is Governor Pritzker, nor are any of the other mayors or governors around um, the country. So they are going to have to figure out how to make do with a lot less. There still is a hope that there might be some revenue support if when the new administration comes in and the new um, Congress is um, seated, when Georgia is determined, there's a chance they could get another round of revenue support. 
What's clear is the pandemic's not over, the economic disruption's not over, and these governments don't have enough money just to keep the policemen on the streets and keep their governments operating. Remind us exactly how much money the, the city and state are relying on from the federal government? Well, the, they were were hoping for billions of dollars. The state of Illinois um, was hoping for upwards of four to five billion dollars in revenue support. The city of Chicago would like to see equally um, significant amounts across all the local governments, the um, city government, the Chicago public schools, the counties. All of them would like to see revenue support. It's not was not, was not put forward as a bailout for the past economic challenges or the fiscal irresponsibility of Illinois and the city of Chicago, but more that we needed money to replace the revenue that was lost so we didn't have to have draconian cuts and so we could still maintain order and adequate government support. That still is going to be the case. So the and my expectation is that the governors and the mayors will continue to push the Congress and the new administration for some revenue support much larger um, and much more significant than what they've seen so far. Lawrence, the, the plan does include a one-year extension for cities and states to use money they got from the CARES earlier this year. Will that have That's a positive it, impact on city and state it, budgets? It, it will. It will especially help some of the smaller cities in uh, around the country that didn't get their money directly from the federal government have been waiting for the state of Illinois to allocate it. We're told that that money is basically being spent at a rapid pace or being distributed, but this will give them some breathing room. It's not new money, but it allowed them to make sure they spent all the stimulus money that was made available. That's Lawrence Massal, president of the Civic Federation. Lawrence, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, the stimulus package also includes $13 billion in food assistance. As we discussed on the show last week, food insecurity has been rising sharply during the pandemic. By the end of this year, as many as one in six Americans won't know where their next meal is coming from. The aid package boosts the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, as the food stamp program is formerly known, by increasing aid 15% for six months. Along with the extra SNAP benefits, food banks and pantries will also see a $400 million boost. Joining us now is Diane Schonzenbach, Director of the Institute for Policy Research at Northwestern University. Diane, welcome back to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Hi, Diane. So you were on the show with me just last week for our Closing the Gap series on food insecurity. So welcome back. And uh, you said at the time that What's needed right now is is uh, more money for the SNAP program, right? So what's your re- initial reaction to what's in this bill? I'm very happy. I wish they wouldn't have taken so long to get yeah. here, but, you know, I'm quite optimistic that uh, it sounds like uh, what they've agreed to is a 15% increase in SNAP benefits mm-hmm. uh, for the next six months. Um, I wish it were for longer, um, but we definitely think that this, increase in maximum SNAP benefits uh, will help. It'll help take the edge off of, you know, some of the problems we're seeing with food hardship. And remember, this was part of the playbook that they adopted after the Great Recession, and it was very successful at that time. So I'm I'm thrilled that we're, we're going back to that old playbook and adopting this policy. Yeah, and let me fill in some more of the details for our, our listeners here. The, the stimulus package also includes $13 billion in food assistance, as we discussed on the show last week. Um, now, by the end of this year, as many as one in six Americans 
won't know where their next meal is coming from. So this is this is a huge deal. The aid package also boosts the SNAP program, right, by increasing the aid by 15% for six months, as Diane just mentioned for us. And along with the extra SNAP benefits, food banks and pantries are also going to see a $400 million boost. Now, that 15%, Diane, for six months, tell us what that is in dollars for folks who depend on SNAP. Um, it's about, um, you can think about it as about $50 per person per okay. month. You know, so it's, uh, you know, it's really going to make a difference to families' food budgets. Uh, but it's, you know, of course, not going to solve all the problems on its own. And so I was also very heartened to see the extension on unemployment insurance, you know, topping up with that extra $300 for, um, I think, 11 more weeks. Uh, we'll certainly need an extension right. there. And then also, of course, the relief payments. So I think... Um, overall, this is, you know, this is a strong bill that's going to provide relief and hopefully, you know, help us stave off, you know, that um, eviction crisis. Also, um, you know, get more food, more reliable food into the hands of families. How much more aid do you think that we could be or seeing for folks on SNAP or on an individual level? Yeah, so, you know, I think that um, what we're expecting is about $50 per person per month uh, for the next six months. Um, I'll also mention that recently the Department of Agriculture also uh, gave guidance for um, states to reauthorize their pandemic EBT program, which is a very bureaucratic name, meaning uh, that's, that's this money that goes to families who lost access to free or reduced price meals. That money should be paid retroactively back to the beginning of the school year. Mm -hmm. And so the faster that Illinois can get their plan approved and that money into the hands of families, you know, that'll be another about $120 per child per month. And so, you know, together, this could really make a dent in, in the food hardship that we're seeing here in Chicago and across the nation. Something that's not in the relief package is an expansion of who is eligible for SNAP, right? To be eligible for SNAP, a household's gross income has to be 130% below the poverty level, which in dollars and cents is roughly about $28,000 for a family of three. That's before any deductions. Was this a missed opportunity, Diane, for for lawmakers to broaden benefits out to those who may need food assistance, but uh, they may have just missed the mark as far as meeting the SNAP program requirements? You know, I don't think that this moment in time was the right time to dramatically overhaul SNAP. I think it was smart to, uh, you know, to do this change around the edges, you know, increase maximum benefits by 15%. Um, so I, I am pretty comfortable with with, with this. Um, and I think usually, you know, the SNAP program functions very well. It's just that everything is being so tested by the magnitude of this crisis. Yeah. And I want to talk about food banks for a minute before I, I let you go, Diane, because food banks have been a huge source of assistance for folks in need right now. And we've all seen the pictures in the video of the long lines and of cars, right, that have been outside food pantries, especially now with the pandemic. And so in the stimulus package, about $400 million is set aside for food banks and pantries. Considering that rise that we just talked about in demand, is that enough? Oh, it's hard. To, it's it's going to be really hard to forecast sort of how much is enough. Certainly, the um, you know these other aspects, the unemployment insurance, the SNAP, and the pandemic EBT are going to help take the edge off of demand at food banks. And of course, that's what we want. We don't want to be relying on our charity food system as much as we have been during this pandemic. 
So, you know, I know that here in Chicago, we've been very grateful for um, you know, the generosity of people, you know, donating to uh, food banks and, and the depository. Um, and, you know, I think we're, it's going to take us a couple of weeks to, you know, really get a sense of how quickly is the economy going to respond? How effective is this relief going to be? You know, and can we, uh, you know, can we really you know, take some of the pressure off of the food banks and food pantries who've just been doing amazing work? in really hard times recently. That's Diane Schonzenbach. She's the director of the Institute for Policy Research at Northwestern University. Diane, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. The COVID stimulus package also includes protections for renters. Joining us now to talk about that piece of the plan is Connor Malloy, Rentervention Project Director at Lawyers Committee for Better Housing. Connor, welcome back to Reset. Thanks for having me again. First of all, let's talk about the extension of the eviction moratorium. What does that entail, Connor, and who's going to benefit? Uh, so the the current extension uh, for the moratorium under the uh, under the state, from what Pritzker just recently did, um, that's going to end on January 9th. And so the protections are really for those folks who uh, aren't able to, to pay rent or haven't been paying rent. Um, it doesn't really protect folks that, uh, you know, might for other reasons being uh, evicted. So, you know, there's at least those prote- protections and then the CDC protections, uh, you know, the, the clock is running out on those. So the agreement extends until January 31st? Give us the details there. So as far as how that's operating, um, yeah, and there's sort of this interplay too between, you know, which one should Illinoisans use? Should it be the Illinois Declaration or the CDC Declaration? Uh, but really, it's just a, a continuation where you know, what they're trying to do is to avoid uh, where people would get displaced and maybe have to move into you know, a, a group home of sorts or move in with family and then you know, making the, the disease much more communicable along the way. So you know, it, it really could uh, devolve into a public, well, an aggravated public health crisis. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, Illinois does have its own eviction moratorium. Governor Pritzker has continued to extend that month after month during the pandemic. Does it have extra weight if it's coming from the federal government? Not particularly. Um, from what I gather, you know, especially here in Cook County, the judges are a bit more familiar with the the new declaration uh, that came out of the state, um, even though uh, the way Governor Pritzker's executive order is, is worded is that the, uh, you know, the court should take either the Illinois Declaration into consideration or a substantially similar document, which the CDC one is. Um, so, you know, the Illinois Declaration, you know, certainly has uh, certainly has a bit of power to it to, you know, stall an eviction proceeding if one is going. And then the recent order from Governor Pritzker as well gave a bit of a timeline on how that's supposed to work, where a landlord couldn't necessarily just hand somebody an eviction notice and the declaration at the same time, right? And, yeah. you know, just confuse everything. There, there has to be a, a five-day period in between those things happening to give the tenant enough time to be able to you know, figure out what the heck's going on mm-hmm. and be able to you know, determine whether or not they want to sign the document or you know, pursue something else with the landlord. Another piece of this bill, Connor, $25 billion in emergency funding for renters. What's mm-hmm. your reaction to that number? Yeah, you know, th- a lot of us in the industry you know, look at a uh, cons- certain consulting firm called Stout for a lot of this eviction data, and 
you know, quite literally, it, it's on the money for what they were projecting from a, a national standpoint with the $25 billion. And then even beyond that, uh, some of the early numbers for what may get sent to Illinois mm-hmm. would be somewhere in the range of about $850 million in rental assistance, which, again, if you're figuring that there might be about 400,000 households or more that are at risk of eviction, uh, you know, that could potentially you know, be like 2000 and change per renter uh, to be able to provide some rental assistance. It might not be the greatest thing in the world, but it's something that could hurt, certainly you know, help them try to avoid eviction and also be able to get money to landlords, too, who are also you know, feeling the crunch. Do you feel like that's enough? Absolutely not. <laughs> so, like, the, the numbers, you know, if you figure, uh, you know, let's say somebody in the summer ran out of unemployment benefits, right, and, you know, hasn't been able to you know, continually make end meets, ends meet, you know, now they're deeper and deeper uh, along the way. And if you figure what it would cost to rent, you know, even a one-bedroom in certain areas in Chicago, uh, th- this is a drop in the bucket uh, on what some tenants may be facing in in uh at least the numbers on what the landlord is trying to recoup. Um, you know, thankfully, one of the things that we're working on among the myriad of, of responses uh, is something called covidhelpillinois.org, which uh, is part of the whole uh, rent intervention ecosystem where tenants can go on or you know, just really about anybody in Illinois be able to figure out more about how to use these rental assistance programs or mediation mm-hmm. services with their landlords and the like and you know, really, once you start putting all of these pieces together uh, on negotiating with the landlord, having rental assistance available, and then legal assistance for the tenant themselves, uh, you, know, you really have something very, very strong in, uh, in coming to a sound resolution there. That's Connor Malloy, Rentervention Project Director at the Lawyers Committee for Better Housing. Connor, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Take care. And that's it for today's Reset. Tomorrow on the show, we'll bring you more on Congress's new relief package and what it means for you. We'll also hear from Illinois' new poet laureate, Angela Jackson, and her plans for the new role. And if you like what you hear on Reset, give this podcast a quick rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.